Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. We are at proper 23 in year C. We just began a series last week called Lord, Increase Our Faith. Uh, We are thinking about how Jesus, as he makes his way to Jerusalem, speaks of faith in ways that we are differently than we often speak of it. To us, sometimes having faith means just wishing for the best. But Jesus especially as we find him on his journey to the cross, speaks about faith with utter seriousness. So in this series, we are listening to Jesus teach us about faith, and we're aiming to lead our listeners to turn to Jesus with the prayer, Lord, increase our faith. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Uh, Let's meet again our preachers for this series. Pastor Steve Lang is with us, who serves Hope Lutheran Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And also with us is Pastor Kent Holtz, who serves Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, Hopefully joining us soon will be Pastor Tom Cuck. Um, He has some uh, things to attend to at his parish. Uh, Tom is pastor now of Atonement Lutheran Church in Milwaukee and was formerly professor of Old Testament and education at the seminary. So we'll just proceed and and Tom will jump in um, if he is able to later in the recording today. Um, I thought this might be a good time also, before we get too far into this series, just to remind our listeners of what the goal of the Preacher's Podcast is. Um, We're not trying to replace your text study or your text analysis or outlining or writing. Instead, the idea is that preachers will have done a text study before listening to the podcast, and then this is meant to be kind of like pastors getting together and just talking about the text what you might do at a circuit meeting or getting together with um, guys in your area to talk about an upcoming sermon text. So one person shares a good insight and that sparks an idea in somebody else's mind and so on. So that's our goal. We hope to give preachers some food for thought as they work on their sermons. Well, with that, let's get into our readings for this Sunday. We are thinking about readings for proper 23 That's the Sunday that falls between October 9th and 15th in year C. The theme for this week is faith that overflows with gratitude. So Kent Holtz, let's go to you first. Um, Can you get us started by just sharing some thoughts on the theme of the week? Sure. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the the overall theme of uh, increase our faith. And I think this one fits, fits in there really well again, because... Gratitude can be a tricky thing when it comes to our faith. Um, I guess the the first thing that kind of caught my attention was just the the word gratitude. I think has the the root of grace behind it. So, um, you know, as as children of God, if we've got the proper focus of God's grace, that's probably going to lead to thoughts of gratitude. Um, if I misplace that or my focus is elsewhere, be it self or selfish interest, world, whatever, maybe that's when my gratitude is going to be missing, um, a little bit or, or, you know, maybe I think I deserve more from God or he's not giving me enough and gratitude can, can wane. So yeah, definitely grace and gratitude and, um, yeah, faith is faith is a challenge, right? It's uh, it's hard sometimes, 
And yet, as we're plugged in properly, uh, plugged into the word and plugged into our savior, um, that's where we want to get to that faith that is overflowing with gratitude. Yeah. Thanks for pointing out that connection, uh, the connection between faith, uh, seeing and grabbing onto what God and his grace gives to us. And that, of course, is what prompts our gratitude and really creates it in our hearts. Uh, Steve Lang will be focusing on the first reading as our sermon text this week. Could you give us a short synopsis um, of the other readings, the gospel and the second reading, and uh, any thoughts about how the readings interconnect with one another? Absolutely. Uh, first, uh, the second reading is from Paul's second letter to the Christians in Corinth from chapter nine. Uh, he's talking about the collection that uh, the Christians are taking to benefit their uh, brothers and sisters in Christ living in Jerusalem. And um, this section here really, I think it fits into the overall theme very well in that we've got God giving the Christians in Corinth the blessings, you know, God's going to provide sower for the seed for the sower, bread for the food. He also is going to multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God's going to enrich you in every way so that you can be as generous as you want to be in response to God's God's goodness. I think that plays fits in very well with what we're going to see in our first scripture reading with. Noah recognizing God's blessings and then responding to those blessings um, and also connecting to what Kent said about the connection between grace and gratitude. Uh, Paul really, you know, keys into that in this section from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, with God's grace being poured out on the, the Christians in Corinth and then their response um, you know, grace enables them to be generous and uh, just a really beautiful connection there. Um, the gospel from Luke chapter 17 is the account of Jesus healing the 10 lepers, uh, but only one of them returns to express their thanks in person to Jesus. Um, again, we see, uh, it, I see myself a lot in this parable. Um more often than not, I see myself in the, the nine who were so overwhelmed by the gift of God that they completely forgot to go and thank him for it. Um, but to see the example of the, the um, Samaritan there who came back and expressed his gratitude to God and remembered to give glory to God, uh, just again, that, that reminder that you know, uh, that is what our faith wants to do. As new people are, you know, that are focused on God, we are going to be overflowing with thankfulness. Unfortunately, we still have that sinful nature that wants to kind of, even when it does recognize the gift of God, kind of move on to, okay, now what can I, where can I go from here before taking the time to actually give thanks to God who gave us this, this wonderful gift. So again, in, in both of these lessons, and also as we're going to see in the first reading, we've got God, God is where it all starts. He pours out his blessings and then people receive those blessings and then respond in, in gratitude toward God. And it's kind of this big cycle that keeps on going. Yeah. Yeah. God keep, uh, keeps on pouring out his blessings and grace. The gratitude then keeps flowing back to him. 
Um, well, let's get into the, the text appointed for um, our series this week, and that is Genesis chapter 8, verses 15 through 22. So the end of the flood account um, and the expression of gratitude that flows out of Noah's heart um, toward the Lord. But again, we have God's grace uh, coming through in different ways here too, and gracious promises that he continues to give. Um, even as he receives that uh, thankful praise from Noah. Um, how about um, we kind of do it uh, in the manner of uh, like we do a text analysis or, you know, every pastor does things a little bit differently. Um, but what did you guys identify just as far as law and gospel in the text? Um, what do you point to as a malady or um, a sin problem in the text or specific law, something in that category? How did you handle the text and what did you point to um, as uh, in that regard in Genesis 8, 15 to 22? Um, Kent, do you want to start and just highlight something that you noted in your sermon? Well, I really enjoyed or I appreciated the intro notes about um, gratitude, where there were the two points about how our thankfulness is determined a lot of times by our, um, by generosity, and also um, whether it was undeserved. Um, and so you think about that, I guess I'm getting to application of the law already, but you know, maybe when you think about that in our own lives, when am I not grateful? Um, so am I, am I thinking that I deserve more maybe from God, right? Um, and it's easy to kind of get, get into that kind of thinking. Well, why wouldn't God bless me with all kinds of stuff, right? I almost deserve that, right? Because I worship him or I, I, I'm his child or I, I serve him in different ways. Um, so that, you know, there's a lot of different things I think that can rob us of gratitude, and thinking I deserve something from God is certainly one of them. And then the, the, um, the uh, generosity too. You know, I think sometimes we can look at that and say, um, maybe God is not so generous. I mean, he seems, I mean, he's generous and he, he blesses me in a lot of different ways, but I look around at others and man, he's a lot more generous to them, right? And, and so again, I think that's just how gratitude can kind of get, get, sapped away um, when we don't don't remember that we're like Noah. I mean, we're we're lost on the the ship and totally at his mercy on the ark um, and and fail to recognize that. You know, we're, we're standing on our own strength and thinking we deserve this or, you know, God's not as generous as I think he should be. So yeah. I guess those were kind of law thoughts that that struck me as as I went through it. Yeah, uh, thanks for that, Steve. How did you approach uh, kind of the the malady aspect of this text? I, I'd like to pick up on what Kent had started there with uh, the fact that we really don't deserve God's generosity. Uh, the 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 verse that is always striking to me is, let me get the verse number here. Um, it's in verse 21 where God smells the pleasing aroma and he promises that he 
basically putting it positively promises that he's going to keep on pouring out his blessings on the world. And he's going to do that in spite of the fact that he knows that nobody on the world is going to deserve it. In fact, they are going to give him ample reason to do this all over again. Um, he says, I'm not going to destroy or curse the ground because of human beings, even though every, the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. It's like, wow. Um, it's, you know, just the complete lack of anything in us that would make us deserving of any blessings from God. Um, and that then goes straight into the gospel, the fact that he continues to, to pour out these blessings in spite of the fact that we don't deserve them. Um, I also think just kind of looking at contrasting Noah's gratitude with the fact that there, there are, like I mentioned in connection with some of the other readings, that the tendency that we have to receive the Lord's blessings and almost look at them as if, well, of course, he's going to do this for me. It's not really all that notable. It certainly isn't worth me taking time out of my day to actually thank him for it. Um, now, granted, after being cooped up in the ark for a year and 10 days, Noah had very, you know, it was very present to him, <laughs> just number one, you know, if for nothing else, being thankful to God that he's finally out of the ark. But, you know, there's an awful lot else that he could be thankful for. But, you know, for us to just keep that in mind, too, it's a lot of times it's very easy for us to take God's blessings for granted, and not recognize um, how generous he is toward us in spite of the fact that we don't deserve anything as far as blessings go from him yeah right right uh so kent and steve you both mentioned as part of the the malady um yeah a sense of entitlement maybe or thinking we deserve you know that just eats away at at our sense of gratitude um and um and steve you mentioned the gospel counterpart to that or the gospel answer to that is god's continued grace that keeps on pouring out blessings yeah, even when our attitude gets all messed up, or even when we think uh, we deserve these blessings, in spite of all that, God keeps pouring them out. And you certainly see that pattern here in the text. Um, yeah, the sinfulness of man does not go away. The, the inclination of man's heart is evil from his childhood. And God acknowledges that and then still gives promises and still gives blessings and pours out. Um, maybe uh, before we go to, to Tom for insights on the text, Kent, did you want to just uh, augment uh, gospel thoughts that Steve had started to mention there or how you answered in your sermon, kind of the, the law thoughts with uh, gospel promises in the text? Yeah. I mean, just the, the flood itself, you know, there's so much criticism. How could God be a loving God to do that to, slaughter all these people and and the animals and the plant life and everything and you have to go back to genesis 6 and remember you know god was he was protecting the promise and he acted you know he acted to and and there were 120 years right 120 years of of warning and every time noah was swinging his hammer it was another call to repentance um and so God graciously came to the rescue, right? He, he came to the rescue of the promise. He came to the rescue of, of Noah and his family. 
Um, so just the whole feel of the text, I think the whole background of the text really is gospel. You know, it's God graciously rescuing his people. And then I did note uh, the, you know, the connection to Christ, I guess, for me was you think about Noah's offering was, and and um, Pastor Cuck can help me with this, is an olot, olot, I think, which is an entire burnt offering, um, totally dedicated to God and, and consumed in the fire. And for me, that was an easy connection to Christ, you know, how Jesus was that olot for us, you know, totally, entirely dedicated to us, our blood sacrifice, right, for God to come to the rescue for us, um, even as he did for Noah and his family. So, yeah, that those were the kind of the whole background and then the olot sacrifice. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff, too. You know, the promise at the end, I didn't even you know, touch on that. And that's, that's gospel too. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, well, Pastor Cook, you are with us now. Uh, thanks for squeezing us in um, as you're doing the good work of shepherding your flock there. Um, could you chime in? You've taught Genesis for a number of years and uh, jump in with any insights you've got here on these verses from Genesis 8. We'd love to hear them. Oh, check your audio too. Make sure you're active good oh we're not getting yet we're not hearing yet oh is it picking me up now yeah now we got you now we got you okay. thank you um yeah i'll first of all jump off of kent's uh point about the olas and one commentator makes the point that olot the uh, the, the the ola offering the um complete burnt offering is a uh, generally given out of thanks it's oftentimes given at a time when um when, when you were rescued from a disease or something like that and so that to see that this is probably a, a, a little hint towards noah's thankfulness and and a appreciation i want to point out a, a, a gospel thought that's in this text but it's even more in the context Remember that at the beginning of the flood account, when Noah is born, it's talked about how he was named Noah because he would bring us rest. And one of the interesting little things is to see how often there are puns uh, on that word rest that occur through the whole flood account. So, for example, the ark rested, it Noahed on the, the mountain. The, the dove went out and flew around and it could find no place to rest its feet. There was no Noah, Noah place for it. And so it had to come back to who? To Noah, the rest giver. Um, when it had a place to rest its feet, then it didn't come back to Noah any, uh, any longer. But in this instance, the, uh, the, the smell of the offering, it's a form of, of a verb that sounds like Noah. And that it has this idea of the smell of the sacrifice was a rest-bringing thing. And so I realized that there's a, a lot of thought that goes into that, and it's more contextual than it is textual per se. But I think a really cool gospel thought that you can bring into this text and to preach from this text is the reason we give thanks to God is that he's a rest-giving God. Um, you can only imagine what a horrible thing it was for Noah to live in that horrible world before the flood. It had to be a mess. And we lose sight of the fact, or at least I lose sight of the fact, I shouldn't speak for anyone else, 
you, know, you talk about PTSD, everybody that Noah knew was dead, <laughs> with the exception of seven people. Um, all of his, his daughters-in-law, their families, all gone. Um, man, what kind of an impact would that have? And yet, for him to know that God had given him rest from those attacks, had kept alive the, the, the line of the Savior so that ultimate rest for our souls could come. And he offers up this rest-bringing sacrifice to, uh, to God. It's a really cool thought. Yeah, thanks uh, bringing that out, the, the rest, the comfort that, uh, that comes ultimately through God's grace by uh, Noah and to us really through this whole account um, in so many different ways. Um, speaking of which, and, and Tom, you brought up the, uh, the context here. Do you want, do you want to add a quick point? Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, I'd, I'd also like to point out verse 22, the, the, the Hebrew verse 22, there are four what are called merisms, and a merism is uh, opposites. So you've got um, all the days of the earth, there'll be harvest, and there'll be plant, planting and harvest, there'll be cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night opposites and and the, there are two points to bring out from that number one um hamilton makes the point that that would show totality he suggests that because there are four things that are mentioned god is showing the totality of all of creation being covered by uh, by this which is really neat um secondly there is an implication there will be an end to the days um, that God is not promising that the earth is going to go on forever, but he is promising that there will come an end to the time of earth. But during the time when the earth endures, there will be a, a logical progression of day and night. Winter will always be followed by spring, which will always be followed by summer and always be followed by fall. You know, we live at a time when climate change has become so huge issue for so many of our people. Um, one of the good news promises of God is while God doesn't promise we can't mess things up, he does promise that the world's um, pattern of climate will go on. And that's a really, really good news thing for us to know that yes, we can, as us simple human beings can, but we cannot overpower the good news promise of God. And one third thing here, this is the beginning of a, what's called the Noachian or the Noachide covenant. And some suggest that the Noachide covenant is the most breathtaking covenant in all of scriptures, because it's a covenant that applies not just to believers, but it applies to all of humanity and indeed it implies to all of creation. That the animals are included in this because the animals also get blessed by seed time and harvest, summer and winter, day and night, never ceasing. And that this is a promise of God that will, will never be rescinded as long as this earth endures. We live under the blessings of that covenant. Visible sign we get of that, of course, is the rainbow that appears up in the sky where God says, I'll be reminded of my covenant as as if God needs the reminder, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I need that reminder. And yet God says, I'll be reminded of the covenant so that we can, uh, can have this wonderful assurance that this covenant will go on. 
And those are some really cool gospel truths to be able to, uh, to, to proclaim to our people that we don't get a chance to talk about all that often. Yeah, thank you for highlighting those. A lot of, a lot of beautiful gospel in here in a, lot of, in a lot of different facets of the gospel, too, and God's grace. So we've talked about uh, some law thoughts, some gospel thoughts, um, and kind of the, the overarching theme of God's gospel gifts, creating gratitude in our hearts, which lead us to uh, thankful praise, um, and our offerings and sacrifices given in gratitude to our Lord. Um, maybe zoom out, and, and Tom mentioning the, the contextual uh, setting of this reminds me of this. Um, and uh, we, we mentioned a little bit before we started recording. Um, so you're preaching on the tail end or one of the latter parts of the flood account. How much do you need to bring people up to speed on the flood um, and what precedes this? And uh, Steve and Ken, I'd be interested to know what, what you did in your sermons um, on this text, how much you set up the background um, or, you know, you kind of know your congregation and mission field that's big, a big part of it, but what did you do and how much did you do in setting the context uh, for this Genesis 8 text? Uh, Kent? Yeah, I ended up doing a lot. Um, initially, I wasn't going to. I was just going to jump into the text and go from there. But yeah, like uh, Steve said, I started reading about, okay, how long were you in the ark? And you're, you're reading back, reading back, and then you get to Genesis chapter six. And, and partly too, for our situation here, we've got a lot of new, um, new confirmed people and, and new, to the, new to the faith, but who, who just maybe are not that familiar with the Noah account. But then I think there's also the, even if you are, a lot of our people have probably heard the accusations that, you know, God is a monster for, you know, having the flood and what kind of loving God is that? Um, so for me, it was important to set the, the scene and talk about how God, um, why he, why the flood came. Yeah. Why did the flood come? And so I spent probably quite a bit on that. I, I did spend a lot of uh, on background. Yeah. And I, I think it, it's not something that comes up often in the lectionary either. So maybe right. warrants some time. Steve, any thoughts in that regard? I, I did the, the, I mean, I did include a, a decent amount of background just because you, we are at the tail end of it and people really need to understand what Noah and his family had been through that would lead them to this situation and then have their response be this sacrifice of gratitude. The fact that they had spent a year and 10 days in the ark and how, you know, how difficult that must have been and, and how in spite of the difficulties, the Lord was there with them and was rescuing them not only from the flood, but through the flood, you know, the waters of the flood, lifting them up above all the destruction that uh, was beneath them and how, you know, the, one of the blessings that came through this was the fact that God's promise of sending the savior was preserved. It was kept on going. Things were so bad that God actually, he, he saw that his promise was endangered and you know how God had kept them busy through those 
year and 10 days, they had all those animals to take care of, which in itself was a blessing, keeping them from getting bored, providing them with what they needed, you know, just all of these things that needed to be there so that people could kind of really get a good feel for, yeah, they, they, they hadn't, no one really did have an awful lot to give thanks to God for. And then that, of course, leads into, well, look at all the things that we have to give thanks to God for as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Really, the, the whole flood narrative in so many ways points out sin and grace and the gifts of God. Tom? Yeah, I would just jump on the backs of what both the guys said and, and just give an overall encouragement to pastors uh, to tell the account. Um, the, the reality is people love stories. And there's this uh, this crazy thing in storytelling, which is called neural coupling, that when a storyteller is telling a story, parts of his brain light up and the story uh, tellies, the people who are listening to the story, their brains light up in the same spots, just a split second behind it. And, uh, and so the, the storyteller and the storytellee are, are connected in their, their brains. That, by the way, does not happen when we go point A, point B, point C. That kind of coupling doesn't seem to take place. I'm not saying point A, point B, point C is a bad thing. Just realize that you have this extra special blessing when you tell a story. And so here's one of those chances where you can say, here it is, and just talk it through. You don't have to tell in great detail. It's fine to, to just give the big picture, but your, uh, your people will appreciate that and, um, and will be blessed by it, particularly your newbies. Um, and we live in a time when, uh, when biblical illiteracy is so such a big thing in our country. Um, I would encourage guys to, to tell the flood account and, uh, and then maybe even tell the account and then end by reading this, this text, mm -hmm. yeah. telling this text. I'd be fine with that too, honestly. Yeah, another way you could do it is, I mean, it's kind of related to an epic story structure where you're jumping in kind of in the middle of the action. So you could start your sermon with this text, you know, with Noah and his family gathered around an altar offering up and then say, okay, flashback, how did we get here? Why are they offering this really valuable offering? Um, what is inspiring their hearts to such gratitude? Flashback, um, uh, you know, to a, a little over a year before, or if you want to go way, way back to, you know, God's command to build the ark. Um, yeah. And bring, tell the story that way, kind of as a flashback that might. Yeah. It's you know, a great idea. Yeah. Um, so uh, we, Steve kind of, I mentioned it a couple minutes ago, um, ways that you can illustrate and apply, um, what types of applications um, spring to mind. And some of them we've, we've touched on a little bit already, but uh, Kent, you want to go first and just say, what are some of the applications you brought across um, in your sermon? Well, I think to think about a worldwide flood and devastation is incomprehensible for us right? You know, to imagine what Noah and his family experienced. But then you jump into the text um, that was assigned to us for today and do the same thing with walking off the ark. You know, I imagine it's starting to rejuvenate, you know, the earth is greened up and how awesome that must have been for Noah and his family. And the very first thing it sounds like that he does is he starts building this altar. And I think I read somewhere that this is the first time we hear about that actually happening, that an altar is built um, specifically. 
I don't know that uh, it said something about Cain and Abel. I don't know that there was an altar. Yeah, it just says in those accounts that there were sacrifices made. Yeah. Sure, I'd have to go back and, and check, but I think you could be right, Kent. Hey, there's one. <laughs> but yeah, and just the gratitude to think about um, what, what they experienced. Try to think that through a little bit. You know, how awesome it must have been for them. And the, with the thought in Noah's mind, obviously, was not God is a monster, right? God is so unloving. His thought was, oh, my goodness, how... How can I thank him? He was so grateful. And what did he do? He takes a seventh of a species and offers it up to God. I mean, talk about a valuable sacrifice. And it was like, that's God's. That is wholly his. That is entirely his. And I want to do that. And I think for us, maybe is, is to, okay, we're not riding on an ark, but are we any different for the blessings that God provides us, they're generous and they're undeserved the same for Noah. Right. Right. Tom. Yeah. And I think if I can just bounce off of what, what Kent said, I, I love it, but you think of all the things that Noah could have done and the family, I mean, the, the earth must look dramatically different. Obviously we don't know for sure, but you just assume it must look so different to just go, hey, let's go check this out. Hey, let's see where the animals are all going to go. And let, let's, let's check this out or that out. And what, what are these trees like? And you know, who knows? I mean, all the different stuff he could have done. Um, but that the first thing he does is to, uh, to, to say thank you to God. What a great example for us. Huh? That, uh, that the first thing that, that we would do is just step back and say, thank you, Lord, for, for what you've done for me. Um, thank you for for your grace and your kindness yeah great steve any thoughts on applications that you brought out the just um there were two other well two new testament passages that really jumped into my mind as i was working through this text just applying it to myself um the first was uh first peter sorry first peter chapter 3 verse 21 um, 20 and 21, well, 20 through 22, where you have that very direct correlation between the waters of the flood and the waters of baptism and how God, God used the waters of the flood to rescue Noah and his family, lifting the, them up in the ark above all the destruction and how, you know, that corresponds to our baptism. I mean, if we're thinking about some very specific ways in which God has poured out his blessings on us. Certainly we can find a good correlation between the flood account and our baptism where God now uses water to lift us up above the destruction that we deserve and changing the metaphor a little bit, washing us and making us clean. Um, and then of course that just kind of from there you go into all the other blessings that God has provided for us um, and how he Every day we wake up as his baptized children, ready to enjoy these new mercies that he continues to pour out on us. And the other one was um, Romans chapter 12, where um, Noah offered his burnt, his sacrifices, Ola, to uh, the Lord. And um, I've always made the connection between those Old Testament burnt offerings and what Paul talks about when he says that we're to offer our, our bodies as living sacrifices. We don't offer the burnt 
offering animal sacrifices anymore. We've got something better. We get to basically devote everything we are and everything we have and everything we do to giving thanks to God. And so it just kind of encompasses our whole lives. Our whole lives are these lives of gratitude that flow out of um, the, the faith that God has planted in our hearts that then expresses itself in gratitude for these blessings. Yeah, that um, is a verse I often think of um, when we're tempted to think of, you know, here's my life and, you know, picture it as a, a, a pie chart and there's a sliver of it, I'll donate to God. Um, but really the vision our Lord has for it is he owns the whole thing, you know, it's all his. And as we live out our various vocations, do the things we do every day, uh, that too is, is a sacrifice of praise. It's our worship in the Romans 12 sense. Um, our whole lives offered up to God in gratitude for his grace. Any concluding thoughts or additional thoughts, uh, what we've been talking about or things popping into your mind that might be helpful to preachers, Tom? Um, maybe you guys talked about this early on. If, if I'm repeating, I apologize. But it is such an interesting thing that the, the exact same reason God gave for sending the flood is the reason he gives for why he's never going to send a worldwide flood again. Yeah, yeah. What, what an amazing flip God makes um, where at the beginning of the flood account, yep, their day is going to be 120 because their hearts are evil. Um, and now you've got the nuance added that they're evil from childhood. That was not in 6.5. It is here in 8.21 that is evil from youth, from childhood. Um, and, and so the, the proper application to remember that indeed we are a bunch of sinners who are saved by Jesus. And it wasn't that Noah and his family got off of that ark because they were such better people than anybody else. They were sinners just like everybody else. And the real problem in the world had not changed. It was still sin and that we still needed a savior. And thank God we, uh, we have it. It's interesting to note also, it doesn't show up in this text per se, but it shows up right after our text. Um, God had talked about the animals being fruitful and multiplying. Immediately afterwards, he's going to talk several times about the humans being fruitful and multiplying. And it's a reference back to, you know, back to Genesis 1 and 2. And, um, and you wonder why God gave it so often, because he gives it several times. I, I'm, I'm speculating, but I guess I'm thinking maybe Noah and his family would have been just worried, man, if we have a bunch more kids, the same thing's going to happen. And the whole world's going to go evil again, and it's all going to get wiped out again. And so that God has to say to them with some degree of force, be fruitful, multiply, um, swarm the earth is the, the, the way it's worded in chapter nine. And uh, perhaps a chance for us to remind our people again of what a blessing children are, that no, the earth is not a pretty place, and no, it's not getting better. And yet God encourages us too to be fruitful and multiply and so that more people can come to know him and his saving love. So not exactly to this text, but it's definitely in the context and may find a place in the sermons of, of some of our men out there. All right. Yeah. Thanks for that additional thought. Um, and finally, uh, Stephen Kent, you've preached on this text. Could I just ask uh, what uh, you settled on for a theme or how you kind of tried to capture the main thoughts um, in theme or parts or, uh, Steve? I picked up on the, the, the 
the theme of the cycles that came from the last verse where God was going to make sure that these cycles in the earth continued. And that from that, I went into, okay, what we really have here is a cycle of the Lord blessing people, responding with gratitude, and then he keeps on pouring those blessings, even though they don't deserve it. And so I came up with, we live in a cycle of gratitude. Yeah. And the Lord pours out his blessings. We respond with thanks and the cycle begins again. Cool, cool. Uh, Kent, how did you approach it? Yeah, I went back and forth um, initially with, uh, I, I was thinking first to approach it like uh, from Noah's perspective, build your altar, something like that. How do we bring our response to God? Settled on uh, something simple, but just God to the rescue. Um, I think it was important for me, I felt as I preached this, just to reinforce that God was good and gracious in, in, all, in all areas, even in sending the flood. Um, so God to the rescue for Noah, for mankind, and, and finally for us, you know, in saving Noah, he was preserving the line of the Savior, and, and he was, and, and of course, he has rescued us as well. And so, yeah, that was how I settled on it. Awesome. Yeah. Highlighting God's gracious action here. All right. Well, um, we should wrap things up, but uh, Steve, Kent, Tom, thank you very much for uh, giving preachers a lot to chew on as they continue to work on their sermons on this beautiful text. Faith and the gratitude uh, that drives faith and feeds faith and the grace of God and his saving action that prompt our gratitude and inspire our faith. May those come through clearly as you preach his word this week.